Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This podcast is a part of the Maisie Media Network, a community of podcasts for women by women. What's up, loves? Welcome to Self-Care in Real Life, a podcast where we obsess over giving women the tools that they need to choose happiness and create more joyful moments. I am your host, best-selling author and lifestyle blogger, Ty Alexander, and I'm basically your new wellness hype girl, so welcome to the party. Before we take a deep dive into today's episode, I want to remind you to be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes if you've loved the podcast so far. You can also head over to our website, selfcareirl.com, to sign up for our exclusive membership community, which is filled with gems that I have curated just for you to help cultivate life-shifting healing experiences. So this week, we have another guest, Eugenia Washington. She is a model, an actress, a writer, and a beauty enthusiast who, like many of us, is just trying to cope with this scam that we call adulthood, all while breaking generational curses. Her mission is to show women how to love themselves intimately and unconditionally by sharing her own personal journey of love and acceptance. Eugenia is also the July editorial model for Mae Jones Magazine. It's a newly launched fashion magazine that is redefining the look of luxury and dedicated to the Black representation. Eugenia and I talked for over an hour about our dads and how we love them, what success looks like to us, and the hows and whys of loving our bodies. So let's get into it. Eugenia, how are you? Hi. What I I like to ask, I found this question um, on the internet, you know, perusing, um, and I thought it was such a powerful question to ask people, what color is your heart today? I saw that and I said, wow, (laughs) let me go and ask myself. There Um, you go. (laughs) I'm feeling purple right now. Um, If I'm honest, I woke up and it was a little gray. Yeah, last night I feel like I made an error. I feel like I made a social media error. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it just kind of makes you feel because when, you know, you post something and it's not your intent, but the way it looks comes off weird. And so you're just like, wait a minute, I wasn't trying to be offensive. So, you know, you don't want those things to weigh on you, but they kind of do. But then I woke up this morning and uh, I just thought things through and I prayed and it's not even that big of a deal, you know, and it's just kind of like life goes on and what am I going to do today? And so now I'm purple. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling bright. I'm feeling deep. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good right now. Well, we like that purple is near red. So that's, that's a good color. Now we all remember your gorgeous face from America's Next Top Model cycle seven, I think. Yes. Yes. Ooh. Okay. I did watch. I, I, funny enough, I was telling my friend, I think that yours was the last season I watched because it, it just went on. I was like, oh, yeah, they're doing too much now. <laughs> but, 
always tried to watch, right. I always try to watch when there was a black girl on, especially a dark skinned girl, just for representation. But I'm interested in knowing how did reality TV, like that competition, how did that impact your mental health and like negatively or positively? Like what did it change about you mentally? Okay. Um, a big question I get it to compliment that is how was it living with the girls? And I because <laughs> it all goes in there. Yeah. <laughs> I have seven brothers and sisters and we're all a year and a half, two years apart. And so I grew up in a household where I just felt overrun. <laughs> you know, I had to share a bathroom with four other people. I had always share a room, sometimes two, three girls, you know, it's, it, I was sharing everything. So in that respect, I guess I would like to say my life prepped me for that experience. Um, what I did not like was the aspect of reality TV, whereas when I watched it on TV, you saw something different. Mm. Then when you actually film it, you see what goes on behind the scenes. You get to see how conflicts come about. You get to see um, just taping in the process of production and filming and the smoke and mirrors that happen. So that was just kind of like a, um, it was a crash course in adulthood for me, really. I was gonna say, how old were you when you were on the show? I was 20, I was 20 or okay. 21. And just seeing how adults did things, you know, like, oh, this is bad. This isn't real. You're twisting around my words. That's not what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because with, well, now in, yeah. in the reality scope that we're in, we know that it's snippets of, of conversations and things kind of molded together. But back then it was like, well, she should said that, but you don't see what was said before that or days before or what led up to that. So... Yes, yes. Back then, reality TV was still a new concept. So mm -hmm. um, I still get, why were you such a bitch back then? You were so mean. And I'm like, I wasn't. I just took half a sentence, put it together with another half a sentence. And now I look like I'm cussing everybody out, you know? So that was just a, that was just a crash course for me and just like reality and how things are done and, and how adults act and, and how, you know, sometimes you can be misunderstood and you just have to deal with that. Also, I learned back then not to uh, read blogs. They used to call me Nutra Eugenia because I was still young. So I had like a lot of acne. So people are calling me Nutra Eugenia and all kinds of stuff. So for me, um, I made a conscious decision back then at 2021 not to look at blogs, um, not to take what people say about me to heart, um, try to explain myself and express myself in as clear as possible. And if people misunderstand me, then don't take it to heart. So I just try to learn from that. Yeah. I know a, a few, maybe a month ago, um, the show was in like the limelight of like being kind of insensitive and Tyra had released, you know, a, a statement about it, kind of, kind of acknowledging that it kind of was happening. Yeah. Uh, but not acknowledging it was kind of weird. What yeah. do you, what, what in your experience, did you experience some of that kind of insensitivity in, in, in the show aspects? It was horrible. There were some insensitive moments. And like I said, we were all young. So we didn't, we did not experience that type of, we haven't experienced Hollywood. We were all from young, yeah. we were all from small towns. So we didn't experience Hollywood in the smoke and mirrors of reality TV and production and getting things done. But yeah, there were a lot of insensitive times. I know for me, if I'll just speak about myself and in, in my experience on the show, which uh, I told myself after that, I would never be on another reality show mm. after that, unless I was actually, it, unless it was centered on me and I can like, um, 
executive producer or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I know for me, there was a narrative going around that I had to be humble and that I was, I sucked. So in real life, I feel like for me, no matter, cause we got 15 frames or 150 frames each image. So take 150 pictures of us. Mm -hmm. So I know there had to be one good one there. At least one, just one. Yes, but every <laughs> single week they would pick my worst picture and then scrutinize me on my worst picture. I feel like she didn't like me. I feel like she definitely, she didn't like my attitude because I was confident. Mm -hmm. um, she wanted to humble me. That was the thing. Eugenia, be humble, be humble. You know, you just need to be humble. And so her way of humbling me was to take all of my bad pictures, put them in front of everybody, and then tell me how terrible I was. But I'm going to let you pass on to the next week, you know, for whatever reason. At that time, I did look up to Tyra, and I didn't expect that type of um, attack from her. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I'm in this situation to where I'm away from my family. I'm sequestered. You can't talk on the phone. You can't listen to the radio. You can't watch TV. You just have these strange women around you. It's a competition. It's a lot of pressure. You don't know what's going to happen to you the next day. And to, and it's, it was already stressful to try to keep up your self-esteem and your self-confidence and, you know, your, and know exactly who you are and what you bring to the competition without supermodel Tyra Banks telling you that you suck every other day for like 30 minutes. It was like she was screaming at me for like 30 minutes at a time in front of everyone. It was tough for me. So I didn't like it. I had a horrible yeah, time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So with that, when you did kind of step into the modeling industry, how did the theme of like being humble, did that, did you go back to that or did you like go against all of the things that she was trying to tell you? It, it, it definitely made a mark on me negatively mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. you do have to, if you're going to be in the entertainment industry, you have to throw yourself out there. You have to drink your own Kool-Aid and you have to believe everything you do is amazing. Even if it's not, you just have to stand by the things that you do. Mm -hmm. So that's what I felt going into that, you know, into the reality show. But then after coming out and like feeling like I was put through the dryer, it did make me, um, check once and check twice, check myself once and twice. Mm -hmm. It did make me feel like, okay, I'm not good enough to be in these spaces. Maybe I have to start from the bottom and build my way up where, you know, that's not, that wasn't necessarily true. I was good enough. I was just as good as everyone else, you know? Absolutely. It did make me second guess and question myself a lot. And it did make me um, not like looking at pictures of myself because, yes, because if you, every single time I saw a picture of myself that was taken professionally now, we have professional photographers on that show every time I see a picture of myself on the big screen it's a terrible one mm -hmm. taking my professional makeup um photographers we have makeup arts we have hair people we have production so imagine what that does to your psyche when you go into real life and you're thinking man if, if I can't take a good picture on the main stage how could I do it with this you know this photographer, this local photographer. So um just looking at myself in pictures that, that was a struggle it's been a, a it was a mental a lot of mental hurdles I had to get over young mm -hmm. from that mm -hmm. show. But in, in the field of modeling, I feel like modeling, and I've never modeled professionally, but I feel like the rejection is so high. The oh, yeah. uncertainty is so <laughs> high, right? <laughs> like just, you know, you don't know if you're going to get it. Like, you know, you might be lucky this day, you know, it's just the, the uncertainty and, and the risk and the rejection is so high. Have you been able to kind of create 
like safe spaces or, or even brave spaces in your world of modeling? Yes. So you, you learn to grow thick skin early mm-hmm. and you come to realize that each job that you want, you're not going to get, but there are more jobs and that's okay. You know, and you have to just keep it like that. It's job. So for me, I would like, I used to go into the castings. I would give them my best and then I would leave and I would forget about it, you know? And, and that's how I created, created a safe space for myself and try not to get caught up into the rejection. Am I not good enough? You know, is it me? Why am I not working? Mm-hmm. Um, also a safe a space uh, for me starts at home. You know what I mean? Because you're out in this world and you're, you're putting your best foot forward. And I, I say, it, I'm doing the monkey dance for everybody. You know, you're, walking the room, you're making everybody laugh. You're cracking a joke here. You're, you, you're, you're, uh, you're providing people with your, your, you have to tell people why you're worthy to be there, you know, all the time. Yeah, all the yeah. time. So when you come home or when you're talking to your friends, you're confiding in people, you need to make sure I had to make sure that these are people that, um, wanted the best for me, mm-hmm. the people that didn't want to be me, the people that I can trust, um, and the people that when I would lose sight of where I'm trying to go, they always can, they always knew, you know, mm-hmm. they can they always bring, bring you back, bring me back and redirect me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I created safe space for myself. In this so cool. And not to say, <laughs> not to say, I did not run into a bunch of people who was trying to tear my life down. But yeah, yeah, but you, I, I've been lucky. I think it's also not to say that you don't have to remind yourself that you have those safe spaces. I think a lot of times we create these safe spaces uh-huh. with the idea that I'll always be safe. I'll always feel this way. No, ma'am. Sometimes you have to remind yourself that you've created this space. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. And like, and be okay to refer back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I forget. Like, you know, I just talk to whoever about my stuff. And it's like, when I get mad, like, <laughs> <laughs> you're not the one, you're the go out girl. You're not the confiding girl. <laughs> Yes, yes. I was talking to my friend the other day about like, I think as an adult, I learned that because it's not something that we talk about all the time of like how segmented people and friends and relationships are. And so, you know, in your 20s, you know, you're young, you're like, oh, she's my friend. I can tell her. And then you looked up and it's the rumor has started and it's it's some travel eight different people. And so I think, again, as adults, you learn to kind of, again, create these safe spaces and know who this friend is, this friend has this label, that's my go out the happy hour friend. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I have the friend that I go out with, you know, but I've never been to her house. But when we go out, it's a great time. We have a ball, girl. Believe <laughs> it. I've also had to learn that I can't tell everybody everything. And I've really had to learn that because I wanted to trust the people around me. Mm. Because I'm a good friend and I want the best for my friends, but that's not true for everyone, you know, when it comes to, to me. So I had to learn, like, I can't talk about my next move. I can't talk about my good news. I can't talk about my blessings. I can't talk about things that are happening for me to certain people because the energy I get back, it would be devastating, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not always um, like an ill will kind of thing. I think that some people, Black women especially don't have the capacity 
to yeah. support other women in a certain way, right? Like yeah. I, I, I've noticed that sometimes, especially when you get to a certain level and maybe other friends aren't where you are or maybe, yeah. you know, are having a hard time in their success levels, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of hard for them to support you in that capacity. Yes, yes, they just don't have the capacity. It's not that they don't love you, they just don't have it for you right now. And that, that was a hard lesson for me. What is one myth about your industry? modeling that you would like to debunk like what is something that people always say about modeling that you're like girl that is not true <laughs> that is easy <laughs> that is easy that is not true i like to tell people the the last and final thing we have we get to is the picture yeah. you know but we have to get to the we have to we have to get to, to the look, we have to look the part, then we have to get an agency, then we have to go to the casting auditions, then we have to take pictures and like test and get our book together. Then we might have to go, you know, work in another market just to get your book right, just to get these actual auditions that might get you a great pick. And might. then you finally get to the photo <laughs> shoot because you finally booked the job and now you took a picture and we'll see the picture and they're like, oh my God, you're a model, you know? <laughs> so it's not easy. People are not throwing clothes and shoes and money at us. People are not handing things to us. Well, sometimes they are, but for the most part, they're not. Um, it's a business. It's a billion dollar industry. Um, there's politics just like in, in every other industry. There's a, there's a start from the bottom and build your way to the top, just like every other industry. There's a put your 10,000 hours in, just like every other industry, you know? So that is, that is a myth mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I need to it's, debunk. It's not easy, people. <laughs> you know, it's not easy. You're not going to pull up to the car dealership and become the owner. You have to start out as a salesman. Then you have to move up to, you know, manager or a supervisor or manager and then regional, you know, just like any other job industry yeah 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 mm -hmm. now one part of your career that i think is super impressive and very powerful was in 2016 when you were playboy's playmate of the year oh, yeah. um, what was that experience like what did that teach you about you know your body and self-care mm -hmm. and just you know being a woman well you know what i've always been more comfortable being nude Okay. I've always <laughs> felt more comfortable with that. Always. Because I felt like I had more freedom that way. Mm. Um, I just always felt like I had more freedom because without any clothes on. Um, I felt that it was more beautiful. I felt that it was more artistic. And I felt that I loved my self-expression when I was nude or had like minimal clothes on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I'll just tell you a reason why I did do Playboy is because it was a coming from a time in fashion where I was told that I was too bombshelly. That's the mm -hmm. quote. Mm -hmm. And I was too beautiful. And so um, I wasn't exotic enough as far as I'm not uh, yet. You know, I hate that word. Yeah, so do I. So do I. So do I. <laughs> you're either too exotic or you're not exotic enough. Yeah. So either way, it doesn't work. So for me, the way that my blackness didn't work for me was I was an African. Mm -hmm. So I'm not Sudanese. So I'm not 
super super because that was that was trendy that was trendy back then Mm -hmm. you know and then i wasn't light-skinned which is a light-skinned curly hair so yes. I'm right in the Which middle. Which is always trending. Always. Yes, which is always trending. So I'm right <laughs> in the middle with my American self, my black American self. And they're like, we don't know what to do with you. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. So I went through a time period where for six months, I didn't really work because it was just like, I just, we just don't know what to do with you, Eugenia. We just don't know. So I was like, no, there is a space for me. There's a space for a beautiful black chocolate woman. There's a space. There's a space here in modeling for me. You're not going to tell me this. You just haven't seen it yet. So when Playboy approached me and it was a, it was a, a photographer friend of mine, Josh Ryan, that I shot some like nudes with earlier, probably six months earlier. And we did a great job. It was one of my favorite images for Treats Magazine. He called me and he said, you know, Eugene, I'm shooting for Playboy now. We will, and I would love to get you here um, and to do a test for Playmate. And, you know, we possibly can do a cover because I think you're great. And I'm like, we possibly can. So I said, you know what? This is my time to prove to the world that a dark-skinned Black woman, African-American Black black woman, beautiful black woman could be on the cover of this predominantly white um, magazine, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and not, and with my body type, slender, not big boobs, not big ass, not any of that, just me, dark, beautiful black woman model could be on the cover and and dominate this industry. And so Mm -hmm. that's the reason why I did that. So it didn't really teach me anything. It was just so like, <laughs> I didn't answer your question. No, no. Maybe it might not have been. It, it probably was a teachable moment for society, not necessarily yes. yourself. And I do applaud you for challenging the industry yes. in that because there are far too many times, like you said, we end up, you know, submissing to the, oh, well, I'm not this and I'm not that. And so, you know, I do admire your, your, your persistence in always challenging you know, Mm -hmm. that narrative about dark skin, about black women, you know. I will say though, amongst us, it wasn't very well received. It's never going to be, I don't think. Yeah, (laughs) that was a tough one for me. That was a tough one for me. Um, Feeling, because it was almost like, oh, so you're a whore now, you're doing porn now. And it's like, no, look at it, it's not that. Yeah. You know, so I just kind of had to break through the stigma of what Playboy was. And it was hard for me, but you see where it is now and they're diverse and there's a lot yeah. of black women on the on the cover. So I guess I did my job. Yes, you absolutely yeah. did. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it lends to the idea that we don't have enough conversations about women and our sexuality and how we view yeah. our bodies and just how we celebrate them for so long. It's women have only been celebrated with their bodies as a sexual aspect. And that's, it's so much more beauty in that besides just the sexual part. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. And it's, it's tough to know if you're doing the right thing when you know you are, but the rest of society, a lot of society is like, wait a minute, this is, I thought you were high fashion, you know? Yeah. But as far as women in our bodies, I feel like it's ours. It is. You know? Like, and I should be able to celebrate it however. However, 
However, do you see what we have? Um, why would I not love it? And why would I not want to show it? And, and why would I not just want to be? Because you can't separate me from the woman. You know, how am I going to show myself if I don't show myself, if I'm not, if I'm not myself? And I think it's so disappointing how we've been sexualized in that way to where we have to feel um, insecure and bad about loving the body that we were put in. I want to know, for me, being on social media, it's been really hard and kind of a gift and a curse. It's been really hard for me to define what my success looks like. Hmm. and and how i how i judge my success i do a lot of comparing i'm i'm not going to lie i tell everybody mm-hmm. it's still i'm still working on that part of me i am the comparison person how have you been able to define your success in a world where you're you know you're to your point you see people get things and then you don't get them or like how do you su- define what your success is Oh, geez, I, I had to take success in steps. <laughs> I'm a person who I used to look at the big picture and get overwhelmed. And if my big picture doesn't look like this person's big picture in the next six months, then I am not doing right. You know, and I'm, I suck. And now I'm just regressing. And it was like, wait a minute. Look at what you've accomplished in the past month. Look what you set out to accomplish in the past month and look what you've done. So you are successful you've done it because it's all in steps. So right now, success for me would be to be consistent. You know, (laughs) I need to be consistent in the things I do. I have to make choices, make decisions and be consistent for 30 days. Mm -hmm. If I can do that right now for the next 30 days, I am successful and I can move on to the next thing. Next step, exactly. That lends to the big picture, Mm -hmm. right? So. That's how I define success. For me right now, defining success success for me right now is I just got over a, like a, a, a bout of depression and trying to figure out what self-love was for me. So getting over that, that was successful for me. Mm-hmm. Now it's yes. being consistent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so once I'm consistent, then that's me being for me in my life, in my realm. If someone has been consistent for the past three years and they have what they have now, I can't judge myself against that. Cause they've been doing it for the past three years. Doing so, it for the past three years. I just, just I, I just got here. I just got I here. I just got here. <laughs> and giving and patting myself on the back and giving myself grace to when I hit those small milestones yes. that I know that will lead me to the next thing. Yes, a friend of mine gave me a quote that I wrote down uh, on my little poster board, and it was yeah. "Big Little Steps." Ooh, because, yeah. like you, I have a tendency to. I got this big dream, this big picture, and I've been working at it for two months and I ain't got nowhere. I I ain't got nothing to show for it. (laughs) And it's like, I have to do the big little step, not not only do them, but also honor and celebrate them when I complete them. Because that's what keeps the momentum going. That's what keeps me being consistent. And far too often we wait till the big moment to have the celebration. No, celebrate that you were consistent for 30 days. Yes, yes. Because at the end of the 30 days, it's a big old moment. It's another another step, another goal I have to do. I want to switch gears a little bit um, because I have been in a place of learning to unpack and, and honor my childhood, my traumas, all of that. Mm-hmm. So I want to know 
what was little Eugenia like? Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, what was I? I was, I was very shy. I was very quiet, um, but I did a lot. Like mm. I, I ran track. I was like the best on my team there. I was a cheerleader. I was the best on my team there. You know, I was the best in my class. I was very um, ambitious as far as I went to medical academy in high school because I wanted to either be a plastic surgeon or a gynecologist. So um, I guess to combat that inner shyness, I did a lot of big things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I did a lot of grandiose things. I did a lot of performing. I was in Performing Arts Academy. It literally makes no sense. But, <laughs> but I think for some way, um, I thought or I knew that I would be in this position. So I was doing things subconsciously to, um, I guess, prep myself for that. Um, I was always a thinker and, and an observer and a learner. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of personal attention because I did have seven brothers and sisters and there's no way that we could pay attention to this one person. You know, it's a go along to get along type of thing. Mm -hmm. so I was raised to be like um, a second mother to my younger brothers and sisters because I was the, the oldest girl or the second oldest girl. So I just feel like for me, um, I was always just training to be an adult. <laughs> mm. do, you, you know? do you find yourself as an adult now having any resentment for, for that in your childhood or have you not unpacked that part yet? Oh yeah, I've been unpacking that. I've been unpacking that. Um, because adulthood has been hard for me because I felt like I've been an adult since I was a kid. Since like I was, <laughs> I was gonna say you've been doing it for a long time. I've been doing it for yeah. a long time. And, and I did not have the natural progression of growth that everyone else had. For mm. instance, my little sister, she is eight years younger than me. I was eight when she was born, the last one of all of us. And my mom couldn't do it all herself because she was basically a single mom. So I had to sleep in my mom's bed in the middle of the night when my sister was born. And take, we took turns waking up and feeding her. Then I had to go to, to third grade <laughs> the next morning, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, growing up, I rebelled against it because I know about marriage and babies and kids and house and, and job and all of those things. And so I wanted a lot of my 20s and um, early 30s was me trying to find some sort of youth mm. outside of this old woman that's mm -hmm. in here. I really want to tap into her. I had to have a very stern conversation with my dad about being human. I'm curious have you been having these kind of conversations with your mom just about how adulthood has been in comparison to you know your childhood um i tried but <laughs> i already knew what you were gonna say <laughs> i tried but <laughs> um my my journey started with having these conversations with my mom um and again i tried but she did the best she could Mm -hmm. And she was a single mom and she had eight kids and she just couldn't. And that is her response. Mm -hmm. And didn't matter how many times I tried to cry and talk to her and, you know, mom, you know, it, it was been hard for me because you put me in these positions and it's tough. And she was just like, I was doing the best I can, mm -hmm. you know, because she had her own situations mm -hmm. being a single mom coming out of, domestic violence and having these eight kids. 
So I really had to stop and just rectify things within myself and say, okay, this is where I came from. And I have to say, thank you, childhood, even though it's still tough. And I had to take the things that I learned from that. And I also had to create new intentions for myself and what I wanted out of my life. Cause I am an adult and I do have the power to create my reality. And so that I just, part. you feel me? That part. That took me two years though. <laughs> However long it took you, you have arrived. We're there. Here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are mm-hmm. here. But we don't talk about it enough because I, I do, again, I do want to honor, you know, our younger selves and, and just the trauma of, of, just the lack that our parents, especially being black, had. Yes. But yes. at some point, to your point, at some mm-hmm. point, we have to become these thriving adults and kind yes. of stop and say, I am now 30-something, 40-something, whatever, yes. and this doesn't completely define who I am. What right. are my intentions going forward? Right, right, right. And I'll tell you one quick thing about my dad. Now, my dad, Eugene Washington, Oh, you were named after your dad? I was named after, after this <laughs> Your face, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway, okay. Gene Washington from Louisville, Georgia. Okay. This man, this, this man, he is the most country, most, I would say, harshest, meanest definition of angry black man that you can see look up angry black man in the dictionary this is him it was tough growing up with this type of man you know and his thing is he fights for the people it's all black power like he um he he led an integration of his first high school in louisville georgia Oh, oh yeah he if anybody um got arrested or killed in police custody or if there was a lynching in Louisville, if there was any type of shootout, they would call Eugene and he would lead a march down the center of the town and and, and figure everything out. Right now he's in Louisville. He just retired and left California and went back to Louisville where they had the last standing slave auction in Georgia there. So he's out there right now fighting to get that thing burnt down. but it was hard growing up with him. He was, he was very just uh, mentally abusive, physically abusive. Um, he was terrible to my mom. It was, it was overwhomping for him to have all these kids, plus his mm. childhood yeah. So I learned a lot of terrible lessons about men and about life and about love. And it really affected my entire life and all of my decisions. And I really had um, um, a lot of, I had a, a lot of resentment towards him. We didn't even talk for a long time because every time we talked, he went and cussed me out and I was going to cuss him out. And that's just the way we was going to do it. You sure your daddy named my Pete? Because that's how I like my daddy. <laughs> okay. Listen, I, I tell people all the time, we are more, especially black women, we are more alike than we think. Yeah. And your story is, I, I had to give my dad a moment to be human right yeah like I, I had to I had to come to a place mm-hmm. and and let go of my childhood little tie mm-hmm. and say mm-hmm. this is not my dad like it's my dad but he is a man who grew up in the 50s and 60s who had to drink out of the blacks only fountain who yes. couldn't go to the front door of places and just yes. to think about what that does right mm-hmm. to a person's psyche to a man's yes. psyche a big then, strong man. A big strong, because my dad's 6'4". I don't know about your dad. They my might dad be the same. Four, yes. They might be the same person, girl. I don't know. 
but to think about to think about what all of those like being black in that time it was a level of submission that i couldn't deal with in this day so i can't imagine how a grown man to your point a big man yeah you know full of ideas and thoughts and concepts has to habitually yeah submit to white people submit and it could or be or, or be killed or be yeah. killed and they grew up in Louisville Georgia my, my so so it ain't it ain't the cream of the crop doctors white people you talking about it's it's the <laughs> <cream of> the <laughs> I'm about to fall out this <laughs> you know what I mean Hey, the cream of the crap white people. It's it ain't. White. <laughs> that ain't got no business telling nobody what to do. Ain't got no business telling nobody what to do, okay? <laughs> but I gotta hang my head low and crawl yes. out on, on my belly underneath. Damn. Me. Damn. Right? So and so and so and so with that, yeah. that that was the part for me, because I had to go through therapy to, to get that gem, honey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me tell you. But with that, I had to realize how, again, when we talk about capacity, like you just didn't have the capacity to be my dad in the way I needed you to be. Yes. Right. And then I for you, it was only two of us. So I can only imagine with yeah. seven other people and I'm trying to like I, I just can't I can't do it. Can't do it can't do it i'm mad and everything contributes to it mm-hmm. even y'all i love y'all but you it, oh, it, talk about that listen you know so literally before quarantine um i had to let him go mm. because he called me and we haven't spoken in a year pre- previous to this but he called me to get my information to put on his um on his uh will inf- on whatever that people is yeah, called. Yeah, living will thingy, yeah. The living will thingy. So he called me like, I need your social security number and your address. And I said, why? And he's like, you want this money when I die, don't you? And he was like, oh. <laughs> oh, Eugene. <laughs> why do we have to talk like that? Why, why we got, come on, Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, and it turned into this whole five-minute conversation of him yelling at me, me yelling at him, and he, him hanging up on me. And I said, you know what, God? That is crazy. But it's not me. I didn't do anything to him. I asked yeah, him simple yeah. questions, and I got blowback. So I just want to say that. So then I was like, no one would believe that I came from that. The struggle is needed, though. I think, yeah, I think the struggle especially, is especially for me, I think that that has built a lot of character in right. in in how right. I view humans and 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 my my values of humanity like it definitely yes. has both challenged that and and heightened it. Yes. So when I said, you know what, thank you God for giving me a dad like that because I know for a fact that being in this body and how a lot of men have come at me, I'm not scared of nobody because of not me. not a soul. Not a soul. <laughs> I said if anything <laughs> You gave me <laughs> my height, my good looks. You gave me um, a clear mind. You gave me my talents, and you gave me this attitude that does not make that makes me um, that I'm not afraid of anything, and I'm not afraid of the world. And I'm I'm not afraid of men. I'm not afraid of anybody. I'm not afraid of anybody, and that's what I needed in this uh, industry that I've chosen. So Absolutely. thank you. 
Absolutely. I didn't need you to baby me because if you would have babied me and treated me like a princess, maybe I'd be you somewhere might not later. Be where you are absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I was like, even though you're crazy, I needed the crazy. <laughs> even the crazy hell. <laughs> but when I let that go of what mm. I wanted it to be, and I thought and I respected it for what it was. That's it. That's it. That that's it right even, there. Yes, me and my dad have been getting along. Like I had to respect him for who he is. And then he started to respect me for who I am. And we don't expect anything from each other. And we have conversations in the moment now that help me now that I need now, you know, mm -hmm. we met each other in space where we are now that makes the relationship work. Like I just, I just painted my room and I was like, I got to call my dad and ask him if I'm able to paint my room black and is it going to be hard to come off or not? You know, these yeah. are things that I need now. Yeah. Yeah. So it works now learning 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 it's well, tough, bro. listen i tell people all the time don't you rush to get to this adult crap because it's a set up <laughs> it's a set up. i'm not sure it's, it's not worth it i'm not sure it's worth it so one last one last question before i let okay. you go um what has been and it's 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 a complex question what has been your biggest failure and what did you learn from it I would like to start off by saying I mess up and I fail all the time. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> There's a few to choose from, darling. <laughs> I just want to say that. I just want to say that I mess up all the time. It's not perfection over here. Yes. It's a mess. It's it's so may so so maybe the so I have one. I have one. Okay, okay, okay. I just want to put that out there. Okay, okay. No. But I um one of my big failures uh was starting a hair care line. I started a hair care line through two, three years ago. Um, it was a hair care line for weaves, wigs, and extensions back when I was wearing them. And it was called DTMH by Eugenia stands for Don't Touch My Hair. I went, I moved away. I, I feel like I broke off from my career prematurely. And I started that in a time where it wasn't right. I still had more to do in modeling, but I kind of stopped modeling. I picked that up. I put all of my money into it. I moved to Atlanta because that's where um, I was manufacturing. My cousin works in the business and he has a manufacturing company. So I worked with him to manufacture my products. It took me a year and a half to do it. Um, I put all of my money into it. I built it from the bottom up. Um, and I just miscalculated the business aspect of it. And I listened to a bunch of people who seemed like they wanted the best for me, but they didn't. Um, I didn't follow my heart. I didn't go with my gut and the whole thing imploded. And so I spent a year and a half away, not working, I moved to Atlanta to create this company. I put all my money into it and it ended up imploding. Um, and so I had to deal with the death of my first business. Um, mm. And what, what I thought would to be my next move, you know, cause now you don't have that move no more. So it was like, what do you have after that fails? And I had to just build myself back up financially and just emotionally and, um, what I learned, take your time. <laughs> that, 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 that's the lesson right there. Yeah. <laughs> take your time. Don't rush. Don't put all your eggs in one basket and follow your heart. Because when, you start a, when I start a project, I know exactly what I'm doing, even if I don't know what I'm doing, because God gave me the vision for it. And just because a person is, say, a lawyer, or just because a person is, say, is a manufacturer 
or is a printer doesn't mean they know what to do for you and what's mm -hmm. best for your business. Mm -hmm. So even though you can take advice and suggestions and all these things, always come back to your center and say, does this work for where I'm trying to go? And does this work for me? And is this, is this the right thing for me to do? And if it's not, then take everybody, what everyone's saying with a grain of salt and then move forward with your original plan. What an amazing way to end the episode. <laughs> that is amazing advice. Eugenia, it has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Oh, you. I, my soul is filled. I love speaking to people who are on the same wavelength of wellness as I am. So it has been an absolute pleasure. Why can't I say that word today, girl? It's okay. <laughs> Okay. Giving, giving myself grace all the time, but it's been it's been a joy. How about that one? It's been a okay. joy. <laughs> Use other words, girl. It's been a joy to chat with you today. Thank you so so much. I thank you so much, and thank you for having me. And this has been awesome as well. My heart is going from purple to reddish. It's getting a little reddish. That's what I hope for. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today and a special thanks to those of you who have faithfully listened and supported the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed and loved this episode. If you did, please do me a favor and submit your review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you are listening to me today. I also, I kind of think you like me, like we might go together. So go ahead and subscribe to my podcast so that you can be the first to get new episodes each and every Sunday. And I also want to encourage you to share this episode on IG stories, Twitter, Facebook, just do your girl a favor and share it so that we can keep the conversation going. When you do, make sure you tag me. I am at Ty Alexander and at Self-Care IRL. Again, thank you so much for listening to me today. And until next time, toodles. This podcast is a part of the Maisie Media Network, a community of podcasts for women by women.